Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. passage, um, Acts is going to take a break from Paul's story that we've been in. We'll return to Paul, but um, we, uh, today we, we return to Peter. We haven't been with Peter for a while, um, but we return to Peter for what will be a monumental event in the next chapter, in chapter 10. Now, in order to set up that event, the book of Acts establishes uh, that Peter is still very active in ministry, still endowed with a unique power of the Holy Spirit, still healing, still preaching. In essence, uh, what's going on here is the authenticity and authority of Peter's ministry is being reestablished for the reader. And the main point we are supposed to see is that Jesus is still very much with Peter as he was at the beginning of Acts that we saw. Because we need to know that Jesus is with Peter in chapter 10 when something very unexpected and controversial is going to take place, but we will get to that in the coming weeks. Now, before we look at our passage uh, this morning, look briefly at verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, that's strange. Peter is performing the miracle, but he very clearly says that Jesus is performing the miracle. And of course, that's the point. In the Gospels, Jesus heals on his own authority. He never invokes another name except just him. In Acts, the apostles heal with the authority that Jesus has given them. Jesus is healing through them. So what are we going so what we are going to witness in our passage? is what happens when Jesus, not Peter, comes to town. Speaking of coming to town, uh, my in-laws are currently in town. Um, I'm one of those blessed son-in-laws who actually enjoys a visit from the in-laws. I'm not just saying that because they're in this room. Maybe saying that because they're in this room. But um, I do enjoy their visits. But what I don't enjoy is preparing for their visits. That's the exhausting part. So, for instance, last week, Abby was uh, getting on to me about cleaning out our cars. And yes, our cars, as they always do, they needed cleaning. But she's trying to get me to rearrange what was a really, really busy week last week uh, to get them cleaned. And I, I just asked, why, why is this so urgent for you? I mean, our cars are always a mess. What's going on here? And she said, well, you know, my dad, he hates messy cars, like all, you know, older men hate messy cars. 
hates messy cars, the first thing he's going to do, he's going to come to town, he's going to look at the car and give us a lecture. Why don't we take care of our things? And, you know, all that stuff. Well, Abby wants to convince her parents that our life is something other than what it is, which is pure chaos. I don't know why we try. It's vain attempts. Because, I mean, it takes about 10 or 15 minutes for the facade of our, of our order to come down and the disarray to rise up. But that phony 15 minutes of falsehood is really important to my wife. So we clean the place up, they come to town, they think we have it in order, and then they see, no, actually, this is a mess. Well, in our passage today, we get to see what it's like when Jesus comes to town, and it's the opposite, complete opposite. Facade is impossible. There is no cleaning up the ruins of a fallen world. Instead, Jesus is the one who enters into the chaos, and he himself brings order. Enters into the devastation, and he himself brings renewal. And we're going to see this in two ways this morning. Our comfort and his cost. Let's start with the promise, our comfort. Verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down, to, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas... Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Now skip down to Peter's visit to the next town, Joppa, in verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, unlike in, as an aside, unlike in Lydda where Peter explicitly says Jesus heals you. He doesn't invoke the name of Jesus here, but Luke does intentionally uh, want to note that Peter prayed. That is to say, this was not Peter healing, this was not Peter's power, but the power of the one to whom he prays. So he kneels down and prays, and, and then says, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. So, in both towns, Peter faces impossible tragedies to overcome, and in both instances, Jesus overcomes what is impossible. And it's the impossibility, the, he, the, the, the helplessness, the, the unfixable nature of these situations that is what needs to be noted. You've heard me say this a bunch when we were in the Gospel of Mark, but every miracle of Jesus has one thing in common. What is impossible for man is possible for God. He didn't go around healing viruses. Your immune system could do that. He doesn't restore a sprained ankle. A healthy body can do that on its own. No, no, no. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and even like we see in our passage, the dead live. That's not a mistake. That is a profound message. And the message is this. Jesus came to do what we cannot do. Humanity does not need support. Humanity needs a Savior. And our Savior's salvation is far more expansive than we give it credit for. Yes, of course, it is forgiveness of sins. Yes, it starts there. But it's not only that. It is, it is nothing short of all 
things new. I want to expand our visions this morning of his salvation by asking you a question. If Jesus came to our town, if Jesus visited your home, what would he make new? Let's dare to dream this morning. For Aeneas, it was his paralysis. For Tabitha, it was her death. What would it be for you? For some of you, it would be something physical. I know there are some here and definitely some watching online living with an incurable impairment or a terminal diagnosis. I want you to indulge the thought of Jesus showing up and with a word that is gone. And that imagination exercise is not vain indulgence, okay? Literally, you who hope in Christ, that's going to happen to you. So yes, of course, we, we, we don't live in the special era of apostolic authority where the Apostle Peter may show up and give you the eternal promise in your present immediate experience. But make no mistake, what happens in this passage will happen to you. But for many, it's not physical. Jesus cast out demons too, after all. His healing is not reserved just for the physical. Some of you, it's your depression. Some of you, it's your trauma. Some of you, it's your regrets, your shame. Some of you, it's your sexuality. Some of you, it's your loneliness. Some of you, it's your marriage. Some of you, it's a tragedy that took place that has left you with a sadness so deep that a lifetime of tears is not enough to give it expression. Listen, I know how this works been in ministry for over a decade now. I know how this works. Whatever it is for you, you struggle to actually imagine that it could ever be different. Because that level of hope, that level of joy feels dangerously vulnerable and you're not going to open yourself up to it. You can't imagine, so you don't try to imagine. But my point is that in Christ, you're... you're You're not going to have a choice in this matter. The strong arm of the Lord Jesus is coming for that thing, whatever it is, whether you think it's too good to be true or not. So go ahead and indulge the dream today, knowing full well the dream is destined to become a reality. And do you know how I can be so sure and so audaciously say that to you today? Because of what it costs. His comfort costs a lot, so you can indulge the comfort. Let's look now, not at our comfort, but his cost. What if I told you that we haven't even gotten to the greatest miracle in the passage yet? Notice the end result of, um, from both of P- Peter's visits. Verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Okay, now skip down to 41. And he gave her his hand and raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all of Joppa and many believed in the Lord. So in both visits to town, the climax of the story is not the healing, but the town believing and turning to the Lord. And what I'm suggesting is that 
those revivals, that repentance and faith, they were and remain more implausible than a paralytic like Aeneas standing up or even Tabitha rising up. You, believer in Jesus, are a miracle. An impossible miracle, far greater than any miracle that you read in the Bible. And if you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. Consider how much your miracle cost. A healing that requires simply a word, a simple touch. The physical laws of nature are nothing to the omnipotent Lord Jesus to overcome. How about your salvation? That requires the impossible. Literally, there is no way for sinners to be saved. That is, I suppose, unless the eternal Son of God willingly takes on human flesh and enters into creation, into the creation of his own making, lives a perfect righteous life on our behalf, willingly choose to die an atoning death, suffers the horrors of hell for us, and then is able to shatter the bonds of death by rising from his own grave. I mean, I suppose if that were to happen, it's possible, but come on, how could that happen? Or why would that happen? Why would God do that? I don't know. We never will know, but he did it. The lame walk, the dead rise. Okay, remarkable. I'll admit it. Nothing compared to sinners saved. And so while we may not be able to relate in our day to the healings of Acts, we most certainly can relate to the salvation in Acts. And when you consider the cost, the salvation is far more unlikely than the healing. I know what we want is for Jesus to fix our lives. But what we need is for Jesus to save our lives. And it's only this salvation, it's only this more costly miracle that will yield the truest comfort, the truest healing that we long for. So yes... Aeneas was healed by his paralysis, but you know what? The next day he could have suffered a life-altering tragedy and been right back where he was. Yes, Tabitha rose from the dead. Amazing, but guess what? She had to die again. As beautiful as these healings are, they are but a temporary reprieve from the fall. But what the more costly miracle... The more costly salvation of Jesus offers us is not a temporary reprieve, but an eternal reward. The final end of Jesus' cost is, behold, I make all things new. And the new will never be old. For He says, I make all things new. And then he says, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. His passing away shall ultimately yield the permanent passing away of that thing that I told you to name. And all the mess that is our lives. There's a, the, the, the passage, it wasn't printed in, in the bulletin. I, I think that was my fault. I think I didn't tell them to print all the way through 43. But the passage ends actually with 43 in a strange detail. It says, And he stayed in Joppa.
for many days with, with one Simon, a tanner. You know what a tanner is? A tanner is someone who took uh, the dead skin of animal carcasses and turned them into leather. And because of this, the profession was viewed as an unclean profession. Definitely, certainly within Jewish circles, but even culturally speaking. And so the passage ends with Peter. And remember, this passage is not about Peter as much as it is with Jesus, about Jesus with Peter. Jesus coming to these towns. So the passage ends with Peter in the unclean home of a man whose life was carcasses. And I want to suggest that this is a truer picture of our lives. An unclean, rotten mess where every day we, we, we do what we can to make the best of the mess. What is our life if not trying to produce something useful out of the mess that is our life, like Simon producing leather from rotting carcasses? So perhaps when I asked you to name what Jesus would make new in your life if he were to come to town, perhaps your response was, Robert, where would you like for me to start? You don't have one obvious problem like Aeneas and Tabitha. Instead, your life is like Simon the Tanner's, a daily unclean mess. The thing about my in-laws is that they is that we try to make our place nice for them before they, come to before they come to town. But as I said, we just can't. There's no hiding the mess that is our home. But here's the thing. They don't care. And so instead, what happens is that every trip goes the same way. They enter into the Cunningham mess and clean it up. So, for instance, didn't get around to clean the cars... Wife didn't like that. And yes, my father-in-law did come in town. And yes, within hours he noticed. And yes, he gave me the lecture. You know, take care of your stuff. You know, how it goes. The first day he was there, though, went to our car, entered in the mess, cleaned out the mess. Was very kind to tell me. I got a whole garbage full of stuff out of your car. So, thanks for that. But... Yesterday, I walked into our boy's bedroom. There's my mother-in-law sitting on the floor, sorting and folding pile of our kids' laundry. I said, you don't have to do this, you know. We don't, we don't want you to come to town and only work. Get, you know, get out. It's a beautiful day. Go enjoy yourself. She said, this is what I enjoy. I know how crazy your life is. I know how hard it is to keep things in order around here. It makes me happy to leave your place better than when I arrived. Now, listen, that, that comes at a cost. They leave every Cunningham visit. They go home, and they crash from exhaustion that is the Cunninghams. But for whatever reason, they keep coming back, and they're glad to do it. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus enjoys to do. Of course, it cost him to come to town a cost we will never, ever be able to fully comprehend and thank him for, but he was glad to come to town nonetheless. I think we think we are a burden to Jesus. I think we think he bore the cost because he had to or something. You know, he's a covenant God, so he's got to keep his covenant. I think we think he's getting tired of our mess and that at some point he's just going to be done with it and us. Brothers and sisters, that all changes 
when, you, when we realize his cost was his joy. Don't view Jesus as a reluctant sufferer. Certainly do not view him as a bitter sufferer. View him the way the Bible views him. And the Bible says this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despite what it cost him, Jesus was glad to come to town. He was glad to enter in to the mess that is our world and the mess that is our life and bear whatever it costs to redeem the mess. No doubt, our comfort comes at his cost, but his cost is his joy. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the meaning of this table that is before us every week that says, it was my joy to come. It was my joy to lay down my life. It was my joy to enter into the mess of this fallen world with the good news of redemption. We long for the day when you will make all things new, when you will wipe the tears from every eye. Until that, raise us to the heavens. Fill our hearts with resurrection hope. May we leave here fully convinced that you're not tired of us, you're not growing weary of us, and you will, in fact, heal us in every way. Give us that assurance in Jesus' name. Amen.